0: If you give us a station ID, they'll kill me if I,
1: don't, if I don't ask. I'd hate to see you killed. This is Steve Robinson, temporarily back on Earth, in Davis, on KDVS 90.3.
0: is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We uh, we hope you enjoyed last week's show, which was a rather light-hearted affair. Well, actually, I should say, we had so much fun with our sports correspondent, Sean Mitten we're bringing him back for this week's program. And, uh, and you know, public affairs uh, does include sports. It, it certainly impacts our lives in a major way. And locally, uh, they're still debating what to do about the Sacramento Kings as to how much money we want to give to a couple of billionaires who are trying to hold the whole metro area hostage to their sports empire. Our position here on Radio Parallax is that if the Sacramento Kings uh, are going to be moved somewhere, well, we will volunteer to help them pack. And doggone it, let's start the program by noting that the views expressed on it do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, any of our sponsors, or the University of California. Let's start with this date in history, April 20th, but actually let's first start with April 18th, two days ago, which represented the 100-year anniversary of the great San Francisco earthquake of 1906, a disaster which leveled the city, not so much for the earthquake but for the uncontrolled fires which raged afterwards. I was curious to note that they've downgraded the 06 quake in retrospect down to under eight. It's 7.9, is what they're calling it, and I believe the Loma Prieta quake was like what a 7.4. Of course, the Richter scale does go up exponentially. If you've ever seen a simulation, and I would recommend you do so at the Exploratorium in San Francisco, they uh, they have an exhibit there that that uh, shows you how much shaking there was in Loma Prieta in 89 and how much shaking there was 100 years ago. The 06 quake was a lot bigger. The uh, San Francisco Chronicle on Tuesday had on its front page in the newsstands a reproduction of its coverage of the quake 100 years ago. I'm sorry to say I've never heard any first-hand reports of the 06 quake that I can relay to you. My grandmother, who passed away four years ago at age 96, was... uh, was three months from being born uh, back when the quake hit, and although my grandfather was uh, 11 years her senior, he was on the island of Kauai at the time of the 06 quake. And at some point in the weeks to come, we're going to bring you a little interview we did with a man who was alive in 1906. He was 100 years old last month, an old family friend, Mr. Frank Perez, but unfortunately Frank at the time was somewhere between uh, either Spain or the islands of Hawaii himself. But uh, even though he can't tell you anything about what happened in 06 uh, in the Bay Area, I'm looking forward to bringing you uh, some tales from uh, from our old friend Frank. Dear listener, it, it, it'll, it'll be fun. But on April 20th in 1862, Louis Pasteur and Claude Barnard complete the first test of pasteurization, showing that moderate heat could prevent the growth of germs. Of course, technically what Pasteur did, what pasteurizing does, is subject milk to high temperatures, which kills off most of the bugs. Milk, of course, is not sterilized by the process. It does, however, knock the bacterial count way down, which then uh, vastly extends the shelf life of milk, but more importantly, made it a much safer beverage to drink. Milk is one of those things that if you're in a foreign country and you're offered unpasteurized milk, you should regard (laughs) that drink with uh, some trepidation. You can get some really nasty things from milk. On this date in 1921, Colombia and the United States signed the thompson urutia Treaty, by which Colombia recognized the newly independent nation of Panama. Prior to the desire of the United States to build a canal across the isthmus of Central America, the Colombian border was at Costa Rica. You students of history know, of course, that the United States got involved and uh, induced a Panamanian independence movement, which it uh, funded and promptly recognized and uh, even threatened to use U.S. gunboats to shore up the uh, <laughs> the newly independent Panama. S.I. Hayakawa, who was the former chancellor of UC Berkeley and later a U.S. Senator, once said about Panama when they were talking about, of course, having a treaty in the 1970s to uh, revert control of the Canal Zone to Panama. S.I. Hayakawa said, you know, We stole it fair and square. We should keep it. And this date, April 20th, 1939, Catholic churches throughout Germany displayed swastikas to celebrate Adolf Hitler's 50th birthday. And yes, there's an interesting uh, sidebar of history for you. There was a deal cut between the Nazi Party and the Vatican to basically dismantle some of the Catholic political parties in Germany in the 1920s, of which the Nazi Party was the beneficiary. Hitler's sister, taken into custody after World War II by U.S. intelligence, said that she felt her brother had never left the church. And uh, no, I don't recall them uh, going over any of that uh, when I took catechism uh, back in grade school. Although I do recall, to their credit, they did mention at the time of the Protestant Reformation, uh, there were some problems with the Catholic Church. (laughs) I think I'll segue from there into our quip of the day, which comes from Judith Hayes, who said, if we're going to teach creation science as an alternative to evolution, we should also teach the Stork theory as an alternative to biological reproduction. And our quote of the day, and for this we have Shanta to thank, comes from Seneca the Younger. I think this puts it about, what, circa the first century A.D.? Pretty good quote. It is as follows. Religion is regarded by the common people as true, by the wise as false, and by the rulers as useful. Our statistic of the day comes from Newsday which notes that only 5% of the members of Congress are veterans. And only 7% have a child currently serving in the military. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, last week was a good week for the American Trial Lawyers Association after a New York court awarded $1.4 million to a man who lost both his legs while drunkenly trying to outrun a subway train. Lawyers for Juan Soto, who was 18 at the time of the incident in 1997, presented evidence that their client had previously clocked speeds of up to 8 miles per hour on the treadmill at his gym and therefore should have been able to outrun the train if the motorman had braked in a timely fashion. Said lawyer Brian Isaac, it's the duty of any motorist to avoid preventable accidents. As far as we know, the defense was unable to present any evidence whatsoever about Mr. Soto's uh, clocked time running while drunk. You know, when you talk to people from other countries and you tell them this is the kind of thing that happens in America, in in American courts, they just look at you like, you can't be serious. But uh, we're not making these up. All right, we should note that uh, this week was judged a bad week for feminism. After a new high school textbook in the Indian state of Rajasthan compared housewives to donkeys. In fact, the donkey is a shade better, the textbook instructs. You'll never catch a donkey being disloyal to his master. And this week was judged an ugly week for Nigerian soccer fans after it was announced that referees are allowed to accept bribes from teams as long as the bribes don't influence their decisions. Quote, Referees should only pretend to fall for the bait, but make sure the result doesn't favor those offering the bribe. Unquote. Said Fanny Amun, Secretary General of the Nigerian Football Association. And if you know anything about the country of Nigeria, I don't think that last item will surprise anyone one bit. Of course, I do remember when uh, when our own uh, Speaker of the Assembly, Willie Brown, was caught in a tobacco company memo where the tobacco people were saying, don't worry, uh, Willie Brown's going to bottle up that legislation in in committee, and it was revealed that he'd accepted $200,000 from the same organization. He had a press conference and said, no, no, had nothing to do with my decision. All that money did was buy access. So uh, maybe uh, maybe uh, Assembly Speaker Brown was following the advice of Fannie Amun and only pretending to fall for the bait, and making sure, of course, the result doesn't favor those offering the bribe. We, uh, we hope to have uh, Willie Brown as a future guest in this program. I'm pretty sure we won't mention that incident at the time. Anyway, that's it for the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, we do enjoy The Week magazine. Uh, We also like their Only in America file, which I do want to quote from uh, for this particular show. This is a heck of an item. An Indiana middle school student was threatened with expulsion after he handed in a Swiss Army penknife he had brought to school by mistake. Elliot Vogue, age 14, realized he was carrying the knife in his pocket when he arrived at the school and went directly to the principal's office and turned it in. Nevertheless, Principal Jimmy Meadows suspended Vogue for 10 days and recommended his expulsion. Conceding that Vogue is a model student who made an innocent error, Meadows said that the possession of weapons is a serious matter and cannot be overlooked. You know, well, when I hear a story like that, we just hope that the parents and the, and the people in whatever community this happened in, in Indiana will rise up and, uh, and do what was suggested in, in the immortal Stanley Kubrick film Dr. Strangelove that uh, Principal Jimmy Meadows will get such a pranging that he'll be soon wearing the uniform of a toilet attendant. All right, let's go to an old friend of ours. He's been on the show a couple of times, I think, before, and it's time we brought him back, James Israel, publisher and editor of the Comic Press News. Welcome back, James. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, uh, we should note for our listeners, you, you really have become something of an institution at this point. This April... 06 issue represents 15 years of publication.
1: That's right. 15th year anniversary issue. Kind of makes me feel old just to say (laughs) it, but I'm proud of it, you know?
0: Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for persisting. 15 years is a long time. That's right. I should note at this point that in the interest of disclosure that this radio program does advertise in your publication, but that we receive nothing back from you by talking to you on the air.
1: That's right.
0: I don't even get a beer out of this.
1: Well, you know, we might have a beer together. But... No,
0: we can't. It's plugola. Okay. It Has to be completely separate. <laughs>
1: All righty then. I'll
0: buy the beer. All right.
1: <laughs> All right, sounds good.
0: You have to go through a lot of different cartoons to uh, to amass this uh, this 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 issue every month. I mean, how? Oh, that's
1: for sure. I kind of wish I could print more of the cartoons. I go through. I have a a lot to choose from, but uh, we're kind of limited by space.
0: Cartooning always has influenced people. I know in the 19th century, uh, was it Thomas Nass used to write for the New York papers? And, and the politicians at the time, I think the guy Tammany Hall just said, he didn't care what they wrote in the papers in New York City, but the cartoons. That made him nervous.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it seems like uh, these days, even without that, that Denmark incident, uh, a lot of editors are kind of trying to tone down, you know, everything in their papers, and Vanilla Eyes, everything. And, and there are cartoonists that complain about, you know, their editors asking them to, you know, not be controversial and stuff.
0: Oh, yeah, Rex, Rex Babin takes a hit in the in the B that all these letters to the editor are always complaining about his cartoons.
1: Uh-huh. There's a cartoon about that whole issue. In this current issue, Thomas Nast, who is a guy who, this yeah. cartoons about Bob's right. Tweed way back when mm-hmm. and kind of single-handedly brought this guy down as corrupt dude. So this says uh, Thomas Nass father of American political cartooning who single-handedly brought down the notorious Tweed Ring turns in a cartoon to today's big media publisher and then it shows this publisher guy going, looking at it and, and kind of just bored with it and he says can't you just be funny?
0: <laughs>
1: and that's kind of you know how it's
0: evolved these days. The B used to print uh, Doonesbury for the longest time on its editorial pages, I think. Oh, yeah. Speaking of not funny, <laughs> I, do, <laughs> I do have to ask you, is it a public service you're providing by printing Bizarro by Dan Perraro every month? Because I noticed that they resemble cartoons, they just are, never seem to have humor in them.
1: <laughs> you don't think they're funny? <laughs> no, I don't. Oh gee, I'm sorry. A lot of people like that cartoon. Well, I like it. You know, I I, I just wanted to put something in there that's not political.
0: Well, there you go. Yeah, cuz everything else is political. Yeah, it it's not political among other things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, I like the rest of it. That's my only as my only beef. I guess I'm entitled to one, eh? Yeah. All yeah right. You're entitled to one. Well, James, keep up the good work. Uh 15 years, let, you know, hopefully you can do it for 15 more.
1: Hey, can I put in a little plug about the Humor Times? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the Humor Times is the subscription version of the uh, Comic Press News, and it has actually other cartoons that uh, Comic Press does not have, uh-huh. and it's, and it's uh, you know available all over the world. Local people can pick up the Comic Press News free, and then the Humor Times is available anywhere, so I just wanted people to know that.
0: I'm sure that our media-savvy listeners, some of whom will be interested, will will uh, pursue this on their own initiative. Yeah. yeah, good. All right, James Israel, publisher and editor of the Comic Press News. Thanks for talking with us.
1: All right, hey, thanks a lot for uh, having me on, and uh, you're doing a great job with your show there.
0: All right, thank you, sir. All right. All right. All right. I like to read from a Doonesbury cartoon every now and again. This would be a good moment. A few weeks back, Gary Trudeau had a military meeting taking place over in Iraq where a general with a bullhorn is saying, Everyone clear on this? We're here in Iraq to prevent war from breaking out. (laughs) Any questions? (laughs) And Ray, character Ray, goes, "Uh, Yes, sir. If there is a civil war, what side are we on? The general, The good side. We'd still be fighting evil, soldier. Ray, uh, yes, sir, but which side is the good side, General? Um, to be announced. <laughs> the guy looks at Ray goes, it's not easy like in Vietnam. Ray goes, check that. We should note that in the real world now, six retired generals have called for Donald Rumsfeld to resign, accusing him of mishandling the Iraq war. These retired generals include Major General John Batiste, who commanded the Army's first infantry in Iraq in 2003 and 2004, and Marine General Anthony Zinni, former U.S. Central Command Chief. In an interview on NPR, retired Army Major General John Riggs said Rumsfeld created an atmosphere of arrogance at the Pentagon in which military advice in Afghanistan and Iraq was ignored or discounted. Last week, according to the Xinjua <laughs> News Service out of China... Bush issued a statement in support of Rumsfeld, saying the defense chief's, quote, energy and steady leadership is exactly what is needed at this critical period, unquote. In his own defense, the defense secretary said he was proud of his five-year tenure as the Pentagon chief and suggested the changes he had pressed the military to make had aroused resistance and controversy. He flatly answered no when asked if he would consider resigning. Of course, we note that last Friday... White House spokesman Scott McClellan said the president believes that Secretary Rumsfeld is doing a very fine job. And we're not sure if that has any connection to Scott McClellan resigning yesterday. The Bush White House noted with some fanfare that Karl Rove, Bush's chief political strategist, will play a uh, reduced role in the administration as, as he seeks to prevent a major Republican loss next November in the congressional elections. This probably has more to do with the fact that uh, Mr. McClellan um, seemed to have lost some credibility with reporters when he said in 2004 it was, quote, totally ridiculous, unquote, to suggest that Karl Rove was involved in the leak of the identity of covert CIA officer Valerie Plame. Of course, we hope you're following that story. It has turned out that despite McClellan's sweeping denial, both Rove and Vice President Dick Cheney's Chief of Staff, Lewis Scooter Libby, had discussed the covert officer with reporters. So as far as I can see, uh, McClellan is another Ensign Rabinowitz. (laughs) We mentioned a few weeks back on the Star Trek scenario where Andy Card is one of the um, superiors that Scooter Libby was referring to. Well, of course, there was Andy Card, who was Libby's corresponding person with President Bush. There was President Bush himself, there's Dick Cheney, and then there's Karl Rove. So, um... Of the five people you might consider to be above Scooter Libby, in this scenario, two have now resigned, and one is sort of um, stepping down. i are wondering why it is that uh, that Special Prosecutor Patrick Fitzgerald hasn't uh, indicted Carl Rove. I don't know. I don't know. They said that uh, you know there was more to come in that story. Well, we're still waiting, since everyone seems to concede that Carl Rove spoke to reporters about Valerie Plame. Anyway, we didn't talk too much about that issue of the, uh, the anti-Prophet Muhammad uh, protests, or at least they were protesting the cartoons published in a Danish paper. A lot of uh, press outlets in this country simply refused to publish those cartoons for fear of backlash from Muslims. I don't know. As far as I know, we still have freedom of the press in this country, up to a point, of course. Uh, I think, you know, the point to publish cartoons is, uh, I don't know. Seems like it ought to be pretty clear. But, uh, you know, in order to not offend Islamic sensibilities, most publishers uh, held back. Is that a good idea? Is that a bad idea? Um, I don't know, dear listener. What do you think? Why well, do you can drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com and let us know what you think. We did note uh, something didn't get a lot of press here in the United States. They jail people over in Europe for their opinions. In early March, an Austrian court sentenced British historian David Irving to three years in jail for something he said. In two 1989 speeches in Austria, Irving, a notorious Holocaust denier, claimed that only 74,000 Jews perished in Nazi concentration camps and that they died of natural causes. Writing in the Los Angeles Times, scientific American columnist and former Radio Parallax guest Michael Shermer said, It's a classic slippery slope. If people can be jailed for denying the Holocaust, what's to stop authorities from outlawing other unpalatable ideas, including religious beliefs and political dissent? For freedom of speech to have any meaning, it must be applied indiscriminately. And on that note, I think we should head for a break. Uh, You're listening to Radio Parallax... KDVS, ninety point three FM. I'm Douglas Everett. When we come back, we'll again speak with our uh, one of our favorite guests, our own sports correspondent, Sean Minton.